My name is Kent. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, thank you for coming today. I'm glad you're here. I've got a bunch of thank yous today. I just feel so grateful for this day. I want to say thank you to the work crews that worked on redoing our stage up here. They actually started weeks ago working on different pieces of this, but then Monday they descended in mass in here. And did they do a great job? I thought it turned out awesome. Thank you. I want to thank the Family Promise people who have been around here all week. We've been, it was our first crack at trying to assist with this new program, and we had a family living here at the church all week long, and dozens of people assisted in that too. I think we've got some of them here in the room today. Thank you to those who like helped with the Family Promise this week. You guys did awesome. And I want to thank the choir for coming back. You guys sounded great for adding to our worship. I'm looking forward to your season going, and thanks, Stuart, for getting that going. Really appreciate that. And I want to say a special thank to Paul and Kathy at Taco John's because I went down there and told them what we were doing Sunday, and I said I'd like to buy a shirt so I could show the congregation this favorite place I'm always talking about, and they gave me a shirt. So thank you to them. I got the official Olay the day. I know you are all envious of my shirt. This is an official Taco John shirt. So probably next time you go there, I'll be working there. <laughs> I'm also thankful for how much um, people have already started to resonate with this vision of transforming the corridor. I've had some very interesting conversations already in the last few weeks about people who are really starting to key in, and just thinking about it has changed the way that we behave when we go out into the world. It's been fascinating. And then I've been learning some things, thank you for wearing shirts today, of different interests that people have that I had no idea about, and you're out there in the world and in the community doing different things So thank you for doing that. So we want to build on this. You know it's a special day when you get to wear a t-shirt and yell in church. So it's, it's really we're thinking of today as not just a day, but as a kickoff for an entire season. And we're not sure how long the season's going to go, but we're pretty sure it's going to go for a while as God uses us to make a difference here in Cedar Rapids. And our key passage for this entire season comes from the book of Jeremiah. I'd like to invite you to open to that passage if you have a Bible. Or you can use a Bible in the chair, or you can use your app on the phone, or tablet, whatever you've got to open a Bible, to Jeremiah chapter 29, kind of in the middle of the Old Testament, we're going backwards, back there after Psalm, getting to the big prophets, you're going to find Jeremiah there, Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah 29, and I'm going to just read a few verses, verses 4 through 7. Jeremiah 29, 4 through 7. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. And seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too 
will prosper. We're really keying in on verse 7. Also, seek the peace, or some translations say, seek the well-being of the city to which I have called you. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. This is God's word, and it's true, and we can rely on it. First big question in my message today is this. Do you think that this world has any problems? Okay, turn to your neighbor and say to them, I don't think you're to blame for all the problems. Okay. Now turn to them and say, I think you may be to blame for some of them, though. Okay. Here's what I notice about just watching people in general. People seem to have an urge to improve things. We recognize when things are not the way they're supposed to be, and there's something inside of us that wants to make it better. Most of us, when we look at it and we see something that's not right, we think, that's not right. And we can imagine ways where it can be better. And while we might not want to fix that particular problem ourselves, we think somebody should do something about it. Isn't that what we think when we see a problem in the world? Somebody should do something about that. In the early 20th century, people routinely died from infections. And there was a guy who saw that problem and he thought, that's not right. Somebody should do something about it. And this guy's name was Alexander Fleming. Have you ever heard of him? He decided he would do something about it. And so he set up a lab in London and started to study bacteria. And in 1928, he had a chance event that changed the course of medical history. He came back from vacation, and he had left some samples in some dishes, and they had grown mold. And he noticed that in one particular dish where the mold was growing, there was no bacteria around it. Do you know the name of that bacteria that he found on that? Yeah. I think I got a picture. Oh, did I already have a picture of that up there? I'm sorry. See, this is a problem in the world. You need to train me on the clicker. Okay. So if I see it up there, they're seeing it out here? Oh, that's good. A few years ago, some researchers did some estimating on the impact that penicillin had on the world, and this was around its 75th anniversary, I think. They estimated that penicillin saved, so far, 200 million lives. That makes me happy, because that was a problem that needed to be solved, and somebody solved it. They fixed it. It makes me happy for another reason. My mother-in-law's younger brother got poked in the eye when he was seven, and he got an infection from this normal childhood accident, and he died from it, from getting poked in the eye. Two years later, our Aunt Shirley got an infection, and by that time, penicillin was available, and so she lived, which also makes me really glad because I really like our Aunt Shirley. I was wondering this week, what if Alexander Fleming had not tried to fix the problem that he saw in the world? What if he and other researchers like him had said, oh, you know what, no big deal, people die from infections. 
It seems unimaginable. And part of the reason why I think it is unimaginable is because we are wired with an urge to fix things that are broken. I actually think this is part of the way God created people. That part of our design, part of our image of Godness is that we want to fix what's broken. We want to solve problems. When something is not the way it's supposed to be, we believe that something should be done about it and we can imagine a better way. This is at the core of our understanding of this transform the corridor. We really feel like we have this idea that God wants to fix broken things in our own neighborhood and that he wants to use us to accomplish that. And this is because God wants our well-being. And if God wants our well-being, well, then we do too. This is how God says it. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Peace there is the big word shalom, which means general well-being of everything. Everything is the way it should be. That's what shalom means. And he says, pray to the Lord for this kind of peace because if the city prospers, you too will prosper. This is the uh, translation we've been using in our discussion about this. Work for the well-being of the city where I have sent you to and pray to the Lord for this, for if it is well with the city you live in, it will be well with you. So that's the vision for this entire season that we want to enter into. And as soon as you see that, you're probably going to ask some questions. One of the questions you might want to ask is, so how does God bring that kind of transformation? Short answer, us. God brings that transformation through us. He transforms us so that we can bring transformation. And this is where we started last week, that the love of God is rippling out from Christ into the world, and then it gets into our lives, and we, no matter where we're at in our journey toward Christ, we begin to ripple back out with that love. We are the source of change. The people of God in Jeremiah's day illustrate this particular principle. When they were in exile in Babylon, they had one thing on their mind. The thing that they wanted more than anything else was to go back to Jerusalem. They were foreigners and strangers living in a foreign country. They wanted to go home. This is the only thing that they desired, and they actually had a bunch of false prophets who were coming to them and saying, okay, you're going to go home. You're gonna, God's, God's going to send you home. And so this is why we have J- chapter 29 in the book of Jeremiah, because God says, no, this is what I say. Build houses, settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons and daughters, and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Does that sound like they're going anywhere? No. Stay where I put you, he says. And while you're there, work and pray for the well-being of the city where I put you. Make a difference in Babylon. You're not in Jerusalem and you're not going to Jerusalem anytime soon, no matter how bad you'd like to go there. He's saying that Jesus is better right where you're at. So take him there. Begin to radiate. And this is how we make the community transformed. This is how God uses us to transform the community. Now, I've got to admit to you that I've had kind of a transformation in my understanding about how God brings transformation that's been evolving and developing over the last several years. I, I grew up with an understanding that said that 
the main thing for us as Christians is to gather together like this because we really like to gather together. And we got together for worship. We got together to study God's word. We got together for potlucks. We got together for picnics and for fun activities. We got together a lot in the church where I grew up. And it seemed to me as a kid, just watching all of this happen, that almost all of our energy was focused on when we gather. I'm going to draw you a picture of that since you all love my pictures. Here's a picture of what that looks like. We thought that our main reason for existence was to come together. That's why the church existed. And we thought that if we could ever bring someone along with us, well, then they could be transformed too. That the primary place where transformation was likely to happen would be here. And this was made obvious by the way that we used all of our resources, all of our time, all of our energy, all of our dollars, all of our resources were funneled into the place where we gathered. Now, churches have been functioning this way uh, for a long time. Our church has been functioning this way for a long time. We put a lot of focus on this time on Sunday morning. A lot of energy, a lot of people, a lot of planning, a lot of prep goes into getting this to be a good thing when we gather together. Now I'm starting to understand that if that is our main vision for transformation, then we've misunderstood God's plan in Scripture. That God's plan in Scripture is very consistent. And the picture is this in Scripture. We gather together, but it's only briefly so that we can be equipped so that we go out. Our main focus is the out here focus. Because, you know, when we gather together, maybe it's an hour or two a week. But when we go out into the world, 167 hours a week, we're not together. And can we start to imagine what it would look like if we saw transformation 167 hours a week, or better yet, all 168 hours a week. So when we gather together, we are transformed so that when we go out, God can transform the world. This is the vision in Jeremiah 29. These people of God long to go home. We just want to be together. And the people of God in that day had a long history of saying, we, we should be isolated. We should stay separate from everybody else. And God had to keep pushing them and keep pushing them and keep pushing them to say, no, I am blessing you so that you can be a blessing to all the nations. This is the word he gave to his people. And it's the same word that he gives to us today, that we're supposed to be a blessing all the time. Jesus is better, not just for an hour on Sunday morning. Jesus is better 168 hours a week. That's when Jesus is better. How does God bring transformation? God brings it through us 168 hours a week. Second question you might wonder, what kind of transformation does God want? What kind of transformation do you think God wants to bring into this world or into our corridor or into your neighborhood, into your family, into your workplace, into your school? What kind of transformation can you imagine God would like to bring? Now, I did some interesting research about the quarter this week. It was brief, but I discovered a bunch of things that I would rather not know. 
about child abuse and neglect and substance abuse and poverty and income gaps and food insecurity and affordable housing needs and vulnerable populations that are being abused, about unemployment and underemployment, about racism and prejudice and violence and troubled marriages and dysfunctional families and inadequate health care and troubled schools and agricultural struggles and judicial breakdowns. I could go on and on and on and on. The problems that I came across in the corridor range in scope from individuals who are lonely to entire systems that are broken. And I bring this up not to diminish the great things that are going on in our community, but to, to be honest. I'm just curious, when you think about our community, what image comes to mind? I was trying to look for an image to come up with this, and I couldn't come up with one, so I think I just have a question. But I was looking at images like, you know, Nubo and University of Iowa and certain restaurants, different places I like to go. Is that your image of the corridor? Or is your image a guy sleeping under a bridge? Or a kid who goes to bed every night on a couch because there's too many people living in his apartment and he doesn't have his own bed or his own bedroom. What kind of image do you have when you think about the corridor? It probably depends on where you're living. So as I was researching these problems, I had a visitor from the food pantry stop by. Um, The people came and asked me if I could chat. This woman was very distraught, an elderly woman who had just about everything imaginable going wrong with her life right now. She recently lost her apartment, so she was living in her van. She was recently very ill, so she had to be hospitalized temporarily, but she couldn't afford the medicine that they wanted her to take. She was recently estranged from her children, so there was nobody to take care of her. She was here looking for food and for gas money and a place to do laundry. And she was emotionally distraught and weary, and she was wondering if life was worth living. The discussion that she'd had with her husband that morning was whether or not they should kill themselves. She was a mess. I don't know what to do with that kind of mess. This woman happened to be a believer, and she said she'd been praying, but she didn't know if she could pray anymore. So I got to pray with her and try to encourage her, and we were able to give her some food and some gas money so we could help two small problems. What kind of transformation does God want for the corridor? Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have called you. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. I have multiple images that flood into my mind whenever I think about the transformation that God wants to bring. Some of them are very large and very complex, like this elderly homeless woman. It's so big, I don't even know where to start. And that's okay. 
One of the things we've been saying in discussions with staff and, and other leaders in the church is that we don't know exactly where this is going to lead and we don't know exactly what the answer are to all these issues. We're just going to s- listen and pay attention and trust God's Spirit to lead and when God's Spirit leads us, then we'll go. So we don't necessarily have an answer to all of these really big problems. I know that. But it seems like we should do something. So my second image for transformation is much less complex. Here's the picture of it, and if you can't quite see who that is, it's, I think it's Jim Bokey and Gary Mills and Wayne Josephek. Three sweaty guys on a roof. That's the image I have for transformation in our quarter. That we recognize here is one family who had the threat of a leaky roof, and they didn't have the resources to take care of it, so a bunch of sweaty men volunteered to go shingle a roof. That's transformation. That's a ripple. That's a ripple, something we can do. A helping hand, a word of encouragement, a simple act of kindness, sharing the reason for the hope that we have, telling someone that Jesus is better, praying with somebody. Simple, everyday examples of transformation that God wants to... So that's a second image I have. I have a feeling that we're called to solve problems in the corridor that are big and small, simple and complex, and we're going to have to feel our way through it. When I'm wondering about God's desire to bring transformation, I have one area where I feel personally like I'm called to try to make a difference because it's been a problem in my life, so I'm trying to figure out how to address it. It's the problem of pornography. You talk about a problem that's on one hand very simple, and on the other hand, very complex. It's a big, it's a big problem. I got some the, the latest stats just yesterday, and in the latest statistics, they found that one in five smartphone searches is for porn. One out of five. The usage of porn varies across ages and genders, but overall, one in three Americans looks at porn at least once a month. And the effect that porn has on us is it turns women into objects and it distorts our perception of sexuality and it destroys relationships. That's just three of the problems. And when I was talking about this, I wanted to say something like, yeah, we have an issue with this. I'd like to soft pedal it. No, we have a problem with this. And most of this stuff that I looked at this week, I'm tempted to go, oh yeah, those are some issues in our community, some issues in our corridor. No, there's some problems. And because we are wired in the image of God, when we see these kinds of problems, we go, we need to do something about that. Somebody should do something about that. I wonder if I should. In this particular area, I feel like I'm supposed to do something. Um, And so to help you kind of get an understanding of the direction for this, I just wanted to show you a little video so you can think about this problem for just a few more minutes. So we'll watch this little clip. This is your city. And in your city is a war. You don't see it because it hides in plain sight. It attacks the eyes, then aggressively assaults the mind, and ultimately corrupts the heart. 
exchanging the love you once had for a lie. It's the new drug that nobody is talking about. And now, now is the time to step up, to warn your city, to send the message, to fight. Because you are a fighter. You are strong, knowing full well that you will face opposition. But you will boldly speak the truth, because you are real. And you see what's really at stake. Even when others can't. And that makes you a rebel in your city. A rebel that does what is right, not what is easy. And that is exactly what your city needs. Someone that's not afraid to stand up. Someone with the insight to change the conversation. Someone with the courage to get the message out. Someone that will seek to save the lost. And someone that won't give up until the truth is made known. Because perhaps they were once trapped in that by themselves. Or because they know the harm that it can cause. Or simply because they know that love is worth fighting for. If we're going to deal with transforming the, the corridor, I think we're going to need to start naming specific things and insert whatever problem you want to insert into the slot where they said porn, and it's the same truth. We need to speak truth to it. Do you know that the average age as of last year at which kids are first exposed to pornographic images, the average age, eight. So we need to do something about that. I had a young man come and make an appointment with me just a couple of weeks ago very bravely, because he wanted to address this problem in his life. He did not want to have this thing hanging over his head for his entire life. That was the first step, naming it. And after we chatted, even just for the very first time, he said, I feel like a burden has been lifted because we've named it. A lot of times the problems we see in our community start with us being courageous enough to name them. So I know that's a lot, but I wanted you to think about it seriously and just leave you with one more question before we wrap up, and that is, where do you think God wants to use you? I'm identifying specific communities and specific issues and problems in my communities that I want to address, and we're asking every one of us to do the same thing. Think about the places you go, the people you care about, the challenges that you see in the world. What does God want you to do about that? So that's the last question. Where does God want to use us to bring transformation. And since this has been so heavy, I thought this is the time we need to play a little game. We're going to play a game called Clumps. And this is how we play Clumps. I don't know if they still do this in youth group or not, but we did this a lot in my youth group. We would call out like a number, and then you have to get into a clump of that number. And then we would call out another number, and they would get increasingly complex in their things. So in order to play this game, you need to stand up. Okay? And the first clump I want you to form is a clump of two. Go. Okay. When we did this with a bunch of students, there's always a lot of yelling. They yell out the number they want to get. Okay, a clump of two. Okay, did everyone find a partner? Okay, the second clump I want you to get into is a clump of four. Okay, see if you can figure that out. Okay, good job. Now this is where you find out who your friends are. Now get in a clump of three. (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah. Now you know who your friends are. Okay, now get in a clump of seven. No, I'm just kidding. You don't have to do that one. Okay, everyone, look up here. Wait. Okay. Now you're having too much fun. Wait. This is the clump I want you to get into now. I want you to get into a clump of people who have the same community or the same issue or the same uh, calling. Okay, so you might be able to use your t-shirts as a clue for this. Do you want to talk about people who live in your same neighborhood, people who work at the same place, people who are concerned about poverty, people? Get into a clump of somebody who's like-minded with you on your place or your problem. Your place or your problem, okay? Go, talk about that. If anybody is lost and would like to help me reach Taco John's, you can come up here and be part of my club. Okay. Okay. Um, The idea for the t-shirts actually started with a little experiment Alan was doing at the Y. So we go there in the wintertime and work out and run laps and different things like that. And we noticed that from time to time, we would wear a shirt that had a Bible verse or some kind of Christian institution or something on it. And nobody ever asked us about our shirts. There was never a conversation about the shirt we were wearing. One day, yeah, I think people, we actually get more room on the track when you're wearing a Christian (laughs) shirt. One day, Alan wore a shirt. What was on your shirt? A guitar. Okay, a guitar, a guitar brand. What was the name of it? It's a, a string, guitar uh, string. A actually. guitar string, okay, all right. Somebody came right up to him and said, hey, you play guitar? And he had a conversation with this guy. I saw him over in the corner having a conversation with this guy. It's like, wow, there's a little community that was formed right there, okay? What I want you to do right now with your little clump, wherever you're standing is, I'd like you to try to identify one problem that anybody in that group sees in your community that you think you'd like to see dressed. You you go, that's not right. Someone should do something about that. It doesn't necessarily have to be you who does it, but you go, that's not right. Someone should do something about that. Talk about that for just a minute. Okay, this is just a start to get the ball rolling. Two questions, two quick follow-up questions. Did anybody here today learn something new about someone that was part of our congregation? Did you learn anything new about somebody this morning? I did. I learned that there's a, an association that is interested in trees. And I assume that that association is interested in better trees and more trees and healthier trees. I thought that's one problem I never thought of in our world, but someone's interested in that. Um, 
Did you identify a problem? Does, do all of our communities that we've identified, does every one of them have some kind of thing you think should be better? Did you all, were you all able to identify something like that? Okay, so there's some needs. You can go ahead and you can sit with your clump if you want to, if they're your new best friends, or you can go back where you want to go. I gave you all some really heavy stuff today with a lot of things. Oh, I'm not done yet. Okay, if you think you're good, your turn. Okay, I... Um, it, it, sometimes I feel overwhelmed whenever I start to drill into the problems in the world or even the problems in our neighborhood and our corridor. It seems overwhelming. So I thought I should end with a little video clip that I thought was super encouraging just because it seemed like, wow, somebody had a really great idea and it made a difference. It did transformation for one or, or two people, for one family. So just go ahead and enjoy this little clip. I've watched that thing dozens of times. It always chokes me up. I, it's, it's from a drug company. If they can imagine a world where problems get fixed, then I wonder if we could start to imagine the same thing. We also want to try to tell some stories about actual situations where people saw something and did something about it. So I asked Leah if she would share briefly just a little bit about the community where she's felt called to and what she's done about that. So we went through as a staff through the Saturate study, which is kind of what started this whole thing. And in that, they're like, where are you already that God has uniquely called you to make a difference. And so I kind of we listed all the places that I go to daily. I go to work, I drop my kids off at daycare, I come to school, and I see my chiropractor a lot because I like going to see my chiropractor. So those were all kind of in my list. And in that list, I thought uniquely called to my daycare. I am there five to ten minutes every single day that I have a chance for, to transform something. Okay, so this kind of changed our daily routine. So I figured out quickly that if I'm there by 830 um, I have a chance to talk to the teachers. If I'm there after 8.30, no chance. So then we get there a little bit earlier. Um, another day I said, hey, I'm going to go on a Dunkin' Donuts run. You guys write down for me what you want for your coffee, and I will pick it up and bring it to you. And when I did that, I didn't realize that now I had a list of their names. So I have eight ladies' names on a piece of paper and their favorite Dunkin' Donuts order, too. So sometimes I just grab it and, and bring it to them. But now I can pray for these ladies. And so I've learned over time, I'm watching these other parents dropping off their kids, and it's in and out, and it's quick. But as I got to know these teachers, they are 
just slowly gravitating towards me. We stand and we talk a lot just because I put in the time to get to know them, to know their names, to treat them with Dunkin' Donuts and other stuff. I catch up on birthdays. If I hear somebody's birthdays coming up, I try to quick follow up with a card. In the card, I include a prayer for them. And it's been, it's really changed how even my drop-off time has happened because I didn't want to be one of those parents that just went in and out quickly and just dropped my kids off and moved on. And these teachers, I, I thought I'd have to do all the reaching out, and I've noticed that they're also reaching out to me. And it's been a really fun process. And I haven't been doing it too long, but I've kind of got a feel of some who do attend church and some that don't. That was just my next goal. Like, where are they in the realm of belief? And so now I kind of know the teachers that don't have belief, and I'm targeting them that much more. And, but it's just simple little stuff. I was overwhelmed by the thought of adding on yet another thing to do. But I'm already there. And so because I'm there and I chit-chat a bit, I don't park in the drop-off lane because that just annoys everybody else. So I've had to park around the building a little bit and make little tweaks like that so that I can invest time there specifically to talk to these teachers. And it's eight people. That's my little, my little ripple. It's just eight people. Of stuff, but it's it's been a fun little experiment. But it's changed how I how I walk in those doors and and approach them. And haven't seen any grand salvations or anything like that yet. But that's what we're going for, right? But I'm taking small steps now and buying lots and lots of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Okay, we're going to talk more about this in the weeks to come, so you have that to look forward to. But just Lord God, we come to you right now and we thank you for this call that you're putting on us. And it does sometimes seem big and overwhelming, but we also know, God, that you give us the power to follow you wherever you lead. So, God, in the big things and the complex things, guide us, and in the simple things, uh, guide us also. And we will thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.